Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Nicole. I'm Nicole from Pulse and Rock Kitchen Bulimic. So grateful to be here. Happy birthday, ladies. Welcome to all the newcomers. Um, this program has completely changed my life and um, I'm grateful for it every single day. Um, just to get the stats out of the way, I came into program in 2012. Um, my abstinence is no binging, no purging, no intentionally skipping meals, and no laxatives. That's my bottom line abstinence. Um, I have three years of continuous abstinence today. Um, and here I am. So what it was like. Um, you know, I don't think I was born a body obsessor, but pretty close. I remember from a very, very, very early age, uh, just not feeling comfortable in my body. Um, and kind of some of the craziness and discomfort kind of started there. I was taller than a lot of the other kids. And, um, you know, I just, I was bigger and taller. And um, people often called attention to that. Um, I grew up in a home that had a lot of emotional abuse. There was a lot of pressure to be perfect. There was a lot of focus on what my body looked like and looking a certain way um, from a very early age. And so that discomfort kind of festered. And when I got to be about maybe seven, I really started to turn to the food for comfort. Um, You know, my parents would be fighting, and I would just... I would go upstairs, I would take one of every snack pack, we had all these Costco snack packs, one of every one, and just just start shoveling it in, shoveling it in, shoveling it in, and if somebody caught me, I would just toss it back in the cupboard and be like, I was getting a glass of water. You know, like, I couldn't, it was a secret shame, you know, from, from a very early age, I knew that I just couldn't control my eating, you know, it was something that, um... I got into a certain place and it would just take hold. And, you know, I would eat and eat and eat until, you know, my disease said I was done. Um, you know, so very early on kind of became uh, a cycle of restricting and then binging. When I was eight, I went on my first diet. My, my parents forced me to go on a diet. And I learned how to hop on the scale and count calories. And if the number was up, I was bad, and if the number was down, I was good, and, you know, that became a really large part of my self-worth when I was second grade, third grade, and then I began to experiment with anorexia. I just kind of stopped eating very much when I was about in fourth grade. I just, I, I really wanted to succeed and be lovable. And, you know, I remember my dad telling me I was disgustingly out of shape and, you know, just that he couldn't stand the sight of me. And, you know, I felt like I was not a person that was worthy of love. I mean, at eight years old. So, you know, when I began to lose weight, then I, you know, people made some comments, 
you know, that I looked good and and I just I kept trying to restrict and eventually my parents had a conversation with me and explained to me what anorexia was because it became a concern that I was losing so much weight. Um, but that mindset of if I, I have to be a certain size to be worthy of love, like that stayed with me for a very, very, very long time. I got into athletics in high school. I continued the cycle of turning to the food and then restricting, you know, I would eat very, very high amount of calories, exercise it off. I got into exercise bulimia for the first time when I was in high school. And it was the way that I could escape the anxiety that I felt because I've always struggled with anxiety. I've always ran anxious. And turning to the food and obsessing about my body, that, I didn't see it at the time, but that was a safe place for me for me to hide. Um, you know, I didn't have to think about all the stuff that was going on with my family and all of the, the pain that I had to, you know, experience at home. It was just, when I was binging it was just like a numbness and you know later it turned into an emptiness but in that moment I got something out of it and for a long time that worked for me for a long time it helped me survive an environment that was very destructive and abusive um, I got into college um, I moved away from home and that's when the bulimia really started to get bad um, I went on all kinds of like cleanses and diets and I'm only going to eat this food group and I'm only going to do this thing and it you know at night I would tend to eat very high volume very high calorie sugar flour you know that was my main kind of binge foods but it could be anything you know there were times that I even binged on like carrots and stuff like that um, it didn't really matter uh, it just became this cycle of binging and restricting and then oh I'm going to white knuckle let him get under control for a while it's very important for me to feel like I'm in control that that is, is a huge part of my disease like feeling like if I'm not in control I'm not going to be okay I'm not going to be safe um, you know so feeling like I'm taking control when I was in my disease that was a really big part of it you know I binge last night well today it's going to be different today it's going to be different you know, I'm getting on the the elliptical machine for four hours. You know, I'm I'm going to run ten miles of whatever it takes. You know, and that creates a really small life. Anytime something happened in my life, anytime the feelings got big, the food would get big, the behaviors would get worse, and it just it, this is a progressive illness. It's a progressive disease, and you know, as time went on, I moved home. Things got worse again. Um, I would go through periods where it was a little better, and then things would get worse again. Um, I dove really hard into the anorexia when I was about 19 or 20, um, and it almost killed me. I I have done pretty much everything that it talks about in, in step one in the OA 12 and 12. You know, I've eaten the burnt food. I've eaten the frozen food. I've eaten the food out of the garbage. You know, anything that if you're a newcomer and you think, I do this strange thing with food. Nobody else has done this. I've probably done that thing and maybe a few other things. So you are not alone. <clears throat> but I felt so alone back then. I didn't have tools. That Those were my tools, you know. That was how I survived my uncomfortable feelings. Um, my boyfriend broke up with me. 
I would starve myself, you know, like it must be because I'm not thin enough, you know, that must be why, like if I can just get to a certain size, everything's going to be okay, and I got to a certain size, everything wasn't okay, um, I went on a backpacking trip when I was 20, um, where I actually ended up contracting a number of tick-borne illnesses, which I'm, re- I'm still recovering from, which is why I'm sitting down. Um, I didn't know that I had them at the time, but I starved myself on this backpacking trip, and I got down to about 25 pounds thinner than I am now. Um, so I was very, very thin, and I remember just lying there in my tent thinking, you know, if I die, at least I'll die thin. Like... What kind of a thought is that, you know, um, the kind of thoughts I had in my disease, like still, you know, I was super sick and altitude sick and we were, it was like 11,000 feet, we were camping up in the Ritter Range and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm counting the calories, I'm just like, oh, I just gotta be this, that, that, that. you know, I, I was eating less than 1,000 calories a day and hiking, you know, 15 miles one day, 20 miles the next day at a high elevation, I mean, it's, it's a miracle that I survived, really. Um, you know, that same year I gave myself hydration poisoning from, from binging and then trying to exercise it off. And then I got so thirsty, I drank so much water that um, I almost died from that. So, I mean, this, this disease, it is progressive and fatal. And, um, you know, if I was not in program today, I do not think I would be alive for sure. Um, but, you know, that wasn't that wasn't the very bottom for me. You know, I had some more uh, crazy stuff to do first. So I came home. I got more into laxatives. It was pretty much like a flip book of the disease. Sometimes it was more into bulimia. Sometimes it was more into the anorexia. Sometimes it was straight binging. It was always something. Um, and I think that because I felt like my eating disorder didn't look like what a real eating disorder looked like, that was part of, you know, I thought, okay, well, there's very particular things that are an eating disorder, and if it looks like anything different than what I thought in my head, that I don't need to get help. This is just, like, this is a moral issue. This is because, you know, I just can't control myself. Like, why can't I just control myself? It's all about the control. It's all about me. Like, you know, my higher power was the voices in my head, you know, the craziness. That was my higher power back then. Um... I thought I had a relationship with God, like I grew up in a family where, you know, we did go to church and this and that, and I had religion, but did I have a relationship with God? No, you know, giving my food to God, like, that, you know, going to God with my eating disorder, that wasn't something that I thought was, that's something that you do know, I, this, is, this is something that I need to handle, and if I can't handle it, it's just because I'm not good enough, here's proof. Uh, so... Basically, I graduated from college. I, I had a, a brief period where I was in remission, you know, but I was like a dry drunk, you know, that the mind was spinning out of control. But I got through college. I survived the period where I was extremely underweight. I started putting some weight back on. And then guess what? Like, my life got a little bigger. I got my own place, and I started binging again, binging and binging and binging. And I just couldn't stop eating, and I couldn't stop exercising I'm 3 a.m. like I better go get cereal like I better drive like what's open 24 hours I better go get like I would go to any length in my disease to get what I needed it's it's you know it, I, a fix I needed to get my fix you know and it would take the edge off for a little while 
But then it was just that emptiness of I'm never going to do this again. Like, I'm never going to do this again. I can't believe it. And then the next day I'm going to do it again. I did it again. And it got to a point where I started Googling, you know, eating disorder stuff. My, my mom had actually mentioned OA to me in the past. And so, like, I had kind of heard of OA, but I didn't really know much about it. And I'm, like, looking it up. And I'm just like, it's not, it's not, it's not a real eating disorder. It's not, I don't know. It doesn't look like it. I don't fit in the box. So I don't know. And, you know, I reached a point where I, I just, I did bottom out on the binging. Um, and, you know, I, I had gone on this, like, special cleanse. And it, it's not, it's okay because it's natural laxative. It's okay because it's just, like, every justification you can think of I had. And I remember this binge that happened right before I came into program very, very, very clearly, you know, um, I, I was baking something in the oven and I pulled it out earlier and I, and it was for somebody else. And I ate all of this item and I burnt the roof of my mouth and I had blisters on my tongue and, um, you know, and then I didn't stop there. And then like I had thrown some things in the garbage of the ingredients that I was using and I'm like taking this, I'm like, well, it's just on top and take this out. And like, I just, I remember lying on the floor. My stomach was so distended and I was in so much pain. And I'm just, I knew that I was going to lose everything in my life that, that mattered to me if I kept going down this path. Um, and I should add, like, I was also a very high-functioning addict. Nobody had any idea that any of this stuff was going on the entire time that I was in my disease. Nobody knew this was going on. I would go out to dinner, eat a normal dinner with friends, and then I would come home, and I would just be, like, the loneliest person in the world. I'm standing on the ladder to get the candy that I threw in the cabinet that to hide from myself two seconds ago, you know, I'm going to climb up on the, on the ladder and, and, and pull it back out and eat the whole bag, you know, um, and it was just a secret. Everybody thought I was fine. Everybody thought that I had everything together. If it looks okay on the outside, that's all that matters, right? As long as everybody thinks I'm okay, right, then I'm okay, like, but I just carried this weight of a thousand pounds of shame with me all the time. And after that binge, the next day, I went to Kitchen Sink at the old location. I lived in West Hollywood at the time, and I just thought, I'm just going to give this a try. You know, that is a power greater than myself, just that I had enough willingness just to go. I didn't know what really to expect at all, but then I heard people tell my story. I heard people talking about doing the same kind of stuff that I had done. And I knew that I wasn't alone anymore, and it just clicked. And I knew that I had to keep coming back, and so I did. I, I got a sponsor pretty quickly. I, got, I did get abstinent right away. I started working the steps. You know, and it completely, it completely changed my life. Um, you know, I started really feeling my feelings. Like, I, I started feeling feelings that I thought, the feelings are going to kill me. Like, but no, I was just used to numbing out my feelings, so I didn't really know that I had anxiety, that I had depression, that I had all these things that I needed to address uh, before I started working the steps and before I started, you know, just listening. I would recommend for anybody that's new that you're not sure if it's for you, just keep coming back, just listen. You know, if you don't hear your story tonight, just keep listening to other people and you will. Um, because there is something just so powerful, at least for me, realizing, okay, 
we share um, this common affliction. You know, I'm not alone anymore. You know, I it looked like I had everything together on the outside. I always got good grades. You know, I was always seeking to, you know, succeed and accomplishments and all these things. But I just felt so empty and so alone and just like the biggest freak. And when I came into program, you know, I realized I wasn't terminally, you know, as they say, terminally unique anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm not just this horrible, bad apple that just can't get it together. You know, there are many, many other people that are struggling with the exact same thing. And so after I got through the steps, um, you know, the first time, I started to kind of get into a place in my program where I felt like I've kind of got this. And um, I worked with my first sponsor for three years. My first sponsor for three years, she was wonderful. But, you know, I just, there's there was a place in my program where I just really remember thinking, that I kind of had it down. This is a daily reprieve. You know, this is a daily reprieve. The recovery that I have today is just in today. It's the same way you brush your teeth yesterday. It's not going to make your teeth clean today. You take a shower yesterday. It's not going to make you not stink today. You know, it's a daily reprieve. I have to do, like, I have to connect with my higher power every single day, you know, or I can't stay abstinent. I have to be picking up the tools of recovery in some way every single day, um, or I can't stay abstinent. And I broke my abstinence um, when I had gained um, almost three almost three years. Yeah, 2012, I can't do math. But yeah, I was in 2014. I broke my abstinence at a wedding. Um, I got really drunk, and I broke my abstinence. But that was a gift. Like, that relapse was a gift, because after that, it was a wake-up call of a place that I had been, a road that... I have traveled very, very well that I did not want to go back to. And in the end, it made my recovery stronger. So know also that if you're in relapse or you experience a relapse, it, it might be a gift to bring you long-term abstinence. I needed that reminder. I think that my higher power gave me exactly what I needed. Um, and I, I dove back into the steps. I've uh, I worked with a couple of different other sponsors. Um, my current sponsor is here tonight, and I'm, you know, I'm working through the steps again um, now. And each time I work through the steps, I get to peel away a little bit more um, and dig a little bit deeper um, into my recovery and learn more. Um, when I first came into program, I thought, well, if I if I work the steps, if I do everything that I'm supposed to do my life is just going to be, like, really great, and then it's going to be perfect. No, there is no perfect. You know, today, like, I get to have a real life. I don't have a perfect life. The past couple years have been the most challenging years of my life, and I'm still here. I'm abstinent. I'm not eating over it today. No matter what happens in my life, I don't have to eat over it today, and that's incredible. If I can have that, anybody can. I mean, eight years old, I'm standing there, in the disease, you know, I came into this program when I was 21. Um, I never, I never thought that that would be possible um, in a million years. I, I've been battling multiple serious illnesses for the last couple of years. I actually contracted these illnesses uh, seven years ago, but um, I didn't get diagnosed until the end of 2016. And, um, you know, I, 
I don't show up perfectly today, but I get to show up. You know, it's not about you you get through the steps and then your life is perfect. No, you know, you get to experience life and all of the shades that it comes, all of the feelings, all of the experiences. Um, and this has been an opportunity for me to grow closer to my higher power. Um, and I think that if I have hadn't had the hardships that I've had, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, I get to find the good today. I get to um, have gratitude for my life. You know, when I was in my disease, no matter how good my life got, it was never enough. It could never be enough. Today, how it is, is enough. You know, my life is never going to be perfect, but it's real. I get to show up and have all the experiences that a human gets to experience. I don't have to take the edge off. I don't have to numb out an entire layer of my existence to survive today because of this program. Um, and I'm going to open it up to questions in just a minute. But, yes, you know, it, it is possible to get engaged, have a baby, and get married in the same year and be abstinent. It's, it's That happened to me. It's possible to gain weight in abstinence. It's possible to lose weight in abstinence. You know, I watched my body change during my pregnancy, becoming a mom. You know, all in abstinence. Um, you know, I've had some really, really physical lows. My body is not very strong right now because of the health problems that I'm facing. But, you know, each and every day, I, I find so many things to be grateful for, genuinely. Genuinely. Um, I never thought that would be possible. And if I hadn't walked into these rooms, I would still be a very empty person. And today, no matter what life gives me, I can get through it abstinent. I don't have to binge. I don't have to purge. I don't have to starve. I don't have to take laxatives. My day doesn't have to be all about the next food item that I'm going to eat or how am I going to avoid eating or thinking about my body 24-7. Do I still struggle with body image? Does my mind still give me the bait? Yes. But I don't have to automatically take it today. And in the past, I did. I always did have to take the bait. Um, you know, my mind's always going to talk to me. My mind's always going to talk to me. But that's a story that I don't have to give power to because I have power, a higher power today. Um, thank you so much for letting me share. I'm going to open up to questions. Uh, the question is, did I ever struggle with urges, and um, how did I get through it? Uh, in abstinence, you mean? Yes. Um, especially in the beginning, um, something would happen, and I would, you know, my reaction would be like, I've got to eat, or I've got to chew, or I've got to grab this thing. And um, outreach calls really helped me. Even in the beginning, even when I had just, like, a week of abstinence, there's somebody that has zero days, so no matter how much experience you have, there's some, you have something that you can offer. And so, help me, I would just call people and focus on something that wasn't me. Like, I can't think my way out of this. So, when stuff's going on in my head, like being of service, reaching out to somebody else, um, that really helped me. Um, 
and you know, and then the other thing would just be physically switching gears. It, it's all it always had to be taking an action because if I'm trying to think about it and I'm trying to think about it and I'm trying to think about it, and I'm trying to figure it out. It's just it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, and um, I'm going to end up just feeling crazy or engaging in a compulsive behavior eventually. So. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers your question. You know, taking an action that puts the focus not on me, that's something that is outside of me, really, that's the main thing. Okay, cool. um, can you talk a little bit more about your concept of God and how that relationship changed? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, the question was, uh, can I talk more about my relationship with, um, with God and how that's changed? Um, in the beginning, I did a lot of writing on and, and just thought and prayer on what is my higher power. Uh, when I was growing up, I had this kind of religious view of like, okay, God is sort of like this principle in the sky who's judging me kind of thing. And uh, I kind of discovered that, you know, to me, like God is like an energy. It's kind of like electricity. You, you switch on the, like it's always there. But I can either tap into it or not. I can switch the light switch off, and it's just, it's not there. Or I can flip the light switch on, and it's all, it's all available to me. So it's like, to me, God is like an energy. Um, the universe, God is infinity to me. Um, God is a boundless force that is a part of everything and everyone to me. So having an infinite higher power really allows me to have a lot more comfort because all of my problems, whatever I may be facing, it's finite. It's a finite, small, worldly human problem. So that's kind of how it's, it's kind of stayed the same. Um, the more time that I spend um, connecting to my higher power and practicing um, prayer and meditation, the more that I believe that, um, you know, my higher power is, is love, like first and foremost, just all of the good that... Um, I can find in my day like that's God to me um, you know I feel like my higher power speaks through people um, when I first came into the rooms I thought oh well I, I already believe in God and so I've already taken like the first couple steps right like I can just jump to, to, to step four or something or no you know um, that was what I thought but um, turning my will and my life over to the care of God that requires me to seek that connection throughout the day daily and so I just kind of think like okay well when I'm closed off and I'm in my head I'm closed off from my higher powers like the light switches off and when it's on it's on and I'm going to be guided through whatever sorry if that went off the rails a little bit um yeah thank you so much uh, can you talk about your relationship with your family of origin yes um can I talk about my relationship with my family of origin um I don't talk with my dad today um you know it that is a, a complicated situation i did um at one point make amends my living amends to him is, is like forgiveness i don't harbor any like ill will towards any of the things that happened but um he's just not an emotionally safe person and he's still in his disease so like i'm not talking to him um, my mom, I have a better relationship with my mom today. My mom and I, are, we're always close, but, um, you know, today we're, we are close in a healthy way. I have boundaries with her. Um, we had a very codependent relationship, um, growing up. Uh, we don't, we used to fight a lot. We don't fight anymore. 
you know, I'm really grateful for the relationship with my mom. Um, and then I have my own family today. I have um, a husband and a son. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, it's, I'm a lot more present um, than I used to be. I don't think everything's about me anymore. You know, if somebody, <laughs> if, if, if something happens, somebody says something, or if somebody's acting a certain way, for a long time my brother and I were estranged, um, I don't automatically think that it's about me and that um, I have more peace. So, better. <laughs> better than I used to be. Um, I, yeah. Hi. Thank you. Um, how do you use program when, if and when you have to confront kind of ghosts from your past? Mm-hmm. Good question. Yeah. Um, how do I use program when I have to confront ghosts from my past and or things that come up? Um, well, it really the main thing is it's it's like when something comes up like an old like an old family thing or something might like for instance my my father like wrote me this letter because he didn't believe that the illnesses that I'm going through are real. He, which is actually a common thing with with Lyme. Um, it's not very well recognized. So anyway, that brought up a lot of stuff of just feeling like, you know, um, my experience isn't valid. Like, I am not, again, I'm not, like, worthy of support. Brought all that stuff up for me. Um, this is a while back. It, it really just came down to giving it to God. It helps me to write letters to God. Like, I also have a God box. It really helps me to, like, write something down on paper and then put it somewhere Sometimes I just get rid of the paper, you know, or, I'll, or yeah, I'll put it in my God box. Because um, it just removes it out of my head. I have a head that tends to spin and spin the same thought over and over and over again. It's like it's like the worst radio station ever, basically. It's just like, okay, we've heard this one before all the hits. Like, you know, I suck the hits. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, yeah, it helps me to just find a way to get connected to God and, and bring myself back to, like, where are my feet? I, am I in the present? And, um, you know, that's, that's the way that I do it. I hope that helps. Um, hi. How do you work your program with a small child? How do I work my program with a small child? That is a very good question. Oh, okay. Uh, actually, I am out of time. Um, so, okay, real quick. Okay. Um, imperfectly, um, you know, I, I try to start the day getting down on my knees and just making a connection with God as, as early as I can. Um, and then there's various things that I just do throughout the day. Like, I don't call my sponsor at the same time. I do that really imperfectly, but I call her. There's some days that I don't, but mainly I do. Um, I connect with my sponsees. Um, I do journaling. I do a gratitude list. Um, as long as I'm doing things throughout the day, I make outreach calls doing things throughout the day. Um, so, yeah, imperfectly, but one day at a time. <laughs>